Welcome everybody to season three of the Ikigai Project. My name is Peter Nakamura. I am uh, here as a co-host and bringing you this brand new season. Really excited to be here again. I know it's been almost a year and a half now, maybe even two years since the last episode. And I just want to thank you for sticking around and uh, listening to season three. Recently, this past holiday break, I had the opportunity to travel to great friend of mine, Mark Henry's wedding in the Dominican Republic. And uh, what was really great about it is so many people there had listened to this podcast and specifically my interview with Mark. They were very curious about when I'm going to be recording my next episode. So with that encouragement and excitement, brought it back and asked Mark to see if you might be interested in coming uh, together and being a co-host for this really special season three. And just for those of you who haven't listened to the episode with Mark Henry, he is probably one of the most thoughtful, kind, charismatic people that I know in my life. And uh, we've had the pleasure of working really closely together for a lot of aligned values. And also Mark is the type of person who would share things on his mind and wouldn't be you know, afraid to speak his mind. So I thought um, in terms of doing you know, a new season, who better to invite and bring into uh, the Ikigai project? So Mark, welcome and thank you for being here, uh, being the co-host for this season three. Well, thanks for the really warm intro, Peter. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I was really energized last time we had a conversation. I actually went back and listened to that podcast interview. I can't believe it was 2019 that we had that conversation. So it'll be fun to come back and, and talk today and uh, go on this three episode journey and keep exploring Ikigai and uh, see what comes of it. Right on. Yeah. And I think the exciting part about the Ikigai, which is the Japanese word for the reason for being or, you know, the reason you wake up in the morning, it's we can really take that take it into a whole variety of different directions. So uh, to to have, you know, the both of us just kind of explore this, think about it like we're just, you know, adventurers, explorers in this space uh, and get a chance to riff with each other. I know, Mark, you're you're a funny guy, too. Um, there's going to be plenty of, of jokes going back and forth uh, to bring that energy into this podcast. I think will just be really, really great as we explore Ikigai. So, um, yeah, yeah, I can definitely I can definitely promise you some de- self-deprecating humor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, try to add some 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 levity to our conversation. Sometimes these topics can be, you know, very important and, and meaningful. So uh, it's always fun to be able to poke fun at oneself. So it should be a good time. Yeah, right on. So, you know, speaking of the last couple of years, since we've had a, a podcast episode, we've had a lot of things happen in our lives, you know, transitions, kind of feels like the right word or the theme for us to explore uh, in the next three episodes and maybe beyond. And so, Mark, I just experienced like a, you know, a direct transition of your life with your wedding in December, which I know we'll touch upon. But, you know, just curious to know, as we unpack this theme of transitions uh, over the next couple episodes, what do you feel like it means to you? Yeah, we were talking about where we want to go in these few episodes together and and just it kept coming back to this idea of transitions and i think it's a tricky concept to define but it's it's one that a lot of us are are encountering at this time you know with the state of kind of where we are in the world um 
just so happens we're recording this at the start of 2023. So that's always a time to be reflective and, and thinking about where one is going. And I think for me, transitions, um, you know, typically involve a, a big change, right? As humans, we're habitual creatures and we get into our set routines. And so when I think about a key transition, first and foremost, I think about meaningful change in one's life. And I also think about, for me personally, I mean, people who know me would know that reflection uh, is something that I, I try to aspire to do on a regular basis. So I think just having that reflective thought around something that could be a big change. So some reflection and probably a little bit of, um, I don't know if the word is anxiousness or uh, excitement or, um, you know, fear, but something that feels, you know, where you can kind of maybe even feel it as a physical feeling in your body where, you mm -hmm. know, it's going to be uh, a meaningful, uh, you know, change or, or, or step for you. So those are just some of the concepts I think about with transition. I, I'm curious for you, Pete, what, uh, what comes up? Yeah, I love what you said at the end there about, you know, kind of a bit of that fear or the anxiety being part of transitions, um, because it's fundamentally, you know, challenging us to look at a situation in a new way. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, for me, transitions is really, you know, part of it is, is an identity shift. You know, how do you go from being one person to another and you know i've been reading a lot of books in this space uh, uh around you know habits and behavior change and all that and and one of which comes to mind is um atomic habits by james clear and he talks about how you know real behavior change is uh it comes from kind of it, it, the analogy is like voting you know every vote you cast every little action that you make every day puts you closer towards being that person you want to be or that transition you have to make. And once that ballot box fills up with enough votes to prove that you are that type of person, then that identity shift can happen. Um, but of course, there's a lot that goes into that. And there's, you know, moving through fear, moving through um, inertia to get to that point. But to me, transitions are really about what's that identity that you you aspire to to be and what's the path that you you get there it's a good point you know because i i do think with some of the transitions that have impacted my life recently they weren't overnight decisions right they were things that took time to develop evolve you know organically grow uh whether it was in my own reflection talking to close friends or loved ones um, but it, you know, none of them were, were, you know, quick knee jerk reactions. And so, you know, maybe there's something there as well. Just the idea of, of, of that, that time arc that's tied to some of these big transitions. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's definitely not a overnight thing to, to then, you know, jump into uh, a different mindset or a way of being, uh, and, and it connects nicely to the topic of Ikigai, you know, you, the reason for being, isn't just like um created tomorrow it really is like i like to think of it as like you craft your purpose you know it, it really is like a, an overtime learning about yourself chiseling that that piece of wood to the point where you get to something that you really feel connected to and it inspires you so um yeah but let's 
let's get into it. Uh, you know, we've got a few things that we we talked about pre-recording just around, you know, what transitions, like what kind of things have we experienced over the last couple of years? And I think, Mark, the first one that I'd love to kind of talk with you about, and I think a lot of people are thinking about these days is, is with your career. Um, you had you made this massive decision to leave um a really well-established position at uh at, at Slack um you know a few years ago and what was it not even a few years ago it's like a year ago now um and I'm you know and then we'll talk a little bit about your traveling that you've done recently but can you talk to us about your decision to leave Slack and and you know what kind of culminated to to that point yeah so August 2022, I was um, transitioning out of this role with Slack. So I've been with the company for seven years and just absolutely transformative for me. Uh, it was certainly, I know people say this, but certainly for me, a, a real once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to work at that organization and be a part of the incredible growth that was there. I'm not sure if all listeners will be familiar with Slack, but it's in the technology space. It's a, an alternative to workplace email a way to stay connected and communicate in the workplace. And it went through incredible growth. I think when I started there, there was around 200 employees or so. And by the time I left, there was north of 3,500 employees. And the company had also been acquired by Salesforce, who had over 70,000 employees. So just an absolute rocket ship. And um, you know, I think gratitude and um, just opportunity are words that come to mind when I think about that stage in my career. In terms of, you know, the timing and, um, you know, making that hard decision, as I said, it was something that wasn't overnight. It was something that I've been reflecting on and thinking about. Um, also having access to uh, a career coach and working through what were some of the priorities that were important to me in my own journey and my own career. But ultimately, I think it kind of came down to two pillars. One was very personal goal and personal driven. And then another was just recognizing the change and the maturity in the organization and where I fit in it, uh, it was kind of maybe time for me to try something new. So on a personal level, uh, which we'll, we'll, we'll perhaps chat about later on, with my partner, we were working towards uh, getting married in December of last year. And it had always been a goal for me to be able to go and do some international travel with a life partner. And that wasn't something that I had done before. And um, the idea of travel and exploration resonates a lot with, with my partner, and she was excited about that as well. So we were able to be in a position in our lives where we had, uh, we were lucky to have the financial stability to both take a bit of a risk, step away from our careers for a little bit, and do some travel leading up to our wedding. So that was really the, the driving factor is just recognizing the unique timing that was important. And then I think also, um, just for me and what I was looking to do, the the company had grown and matured to a stage where I more operate, I believe, in a smaller environment where you know generalist skills and you know flexibility are are really key. And um, yeah, it just felt like the right time to to be heading on um, and try something new. I always uh, I always hold on to some advice that was given to me early in my career, which is you know keeping in mind what is that relationship between employee and employer and it's easy to think what an employer gets out of our investment of time and energy into our roles and our jobs. 
However, sometimes we don't always think about what do I as an individual get out, whether that's skills, whether that's great relationships with colleagues. Um, there's so many different variables that people can get out of a job. And um, just being aware of what that equation is, um, yeah, and it just felt like the right time. Yeah, so I'm curious to know um, what made it feel uh, like it was the right time. Just Just unpacking that a little bit more. Um, you know, I know you're a guy who loves to learn, who loves to grow. And there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious if for you, it was like, yeah, I, I feel like I've learned as much as I can grow as grown as much as I can in this role. It's time to move on. Or, or was it like that trip that you were going to go on with your now wife? You know, was that like, okay, time to go, we can do it. And it was just like a clear timing thing for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a it, yeah, it's a tricky one. I'd say both are really important. Um, certainly, the unique timing for me and my partner were were top of mind. Um, I'm always someone who believes that there's more that you can learn, and you're never at mastery. And so, it certainly wasn't a lack of learning that was coming from the role and the opportunity. Uh, but I go back to kind of some of the ideas we talked about back in the original conversation you know, I had those years ago, which is like defining and deciding what sets of problems um, you want to take on every day. And um, the sets of problems in that role were really interesting ones. However, I think I was just, and I am just kind of ready to to tackle a new set of problems, a new set of challenges. And um, I don't have a silver bullet as to like, what was a tipping point that that led to that decision. But I think you could appreciate, I mean, seven years in, in any organization is, is a, a lengthy tenure. And uh, it just felt like an organic time um, and then, you know, it is worth, worth note, noting, you know, things are different in a larger organization. They need to be. I mean, there's way more complexity. There's a lot more things to to navigate. And and so I think just the, the larger organizational structure uh, was maybe a bit different in what I'm looking for medium to long term um, out of an organization. So those are some thoughts. Okay, so you didn't want to work oh, for a Fortune oh. 500 company. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, always with the hard-hitting questions, Peter, everyone. <laughs> no, I, I just put it out there and then let let my co-host now take <laughs> the nuances. Yeah. Uh, no, that's Those cool. Well, so how'd you deal with the kind of, you know, with any transition, whether it's like, hey, I'm making this decision or, um, you know, being let go, uh, it's like the it's a scary path to to choose when you're going away from what's known and comfortable. How'd you deal with that uncertainty, you know, discomfort? Yeah, it's not easy. I think um having uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but having a, a good foundational understanding of your value, your values, and what you bring to the table um is really important because that self-confidence, that self-belief can help fuel you during a time of uncertainty. So, um, and that's not something that happened for me overnight and it's still an ongoing journey, but I think just continuing to be assured in what you bring to the table. And if you're not sure, um, trying to constantly inventory and reflect on what those ideas are. So that was one side of it. I mean, the other, probably the more daunting challenge for all of us uh, is the the financial piece and the, the responsibilities that we all carry. And so just being like really clear on what, um, what what budget I would have and like what kind of uh, structure I would need in an environment where income isn't 
coming in on a regular basis was really key to help feel confident in that transition. So yeah, those are, those are some, some thoughts. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I can resonate with the, uh, the income piece The having a clear runway is being critical. Uh, and you know, I, I experienced that firsthand when I was let go early on in the pandemic and I was like, what the, what do I do now? Um, yeah. and yeah, so, you know, it's great that that was there and I'm sure having Jess best beside you too, right. To like be kind of, uh, on the same team and talk through things and have that confidence together that, Hey, we're making a plan that works for us really probably made a, a huge difference too. Yeah. And it's something that, um, I think was easy to transition into where we went next because we just had so much exciting, fun travel and adventures to, to jump onto. Um, but yeah, I think here we are now in, in the new year and we're taking time for ourselves right now and the pace of life has slowed down. And, you know, when, when you, when you're in that moment and you're not suddenly traveling, I think that's when it starts becoming a bit more real. And so it's been an interesting few weeks, just starting to explore what some of those feelings post a full-time job and a non-crazy life can feel. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some thoughts, but, you know, um, I think people are, are really excited, Peter, to get to know you, the man behind the microphone. You always ask the the hard hitting, thoughtful questions. Um, but you made a good point there on just some of the learnings you've had in your own career. And, um, you know, I really admire what you've done over the past few years being an entrepreneur and starting your own initiatives. And, you know, you also have gone through a transition that's been career focused. Talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, you know, start of the pandemic, I was I was let go from a position when I was the director of sales for a company. Um, and you know, a company that I, I loved working for, great, you know, um people, great culture. Um, but a role that I probably wasn't, you know, best suited for. And um, you know, my career up to that point had led to, you know, sales roles some marketing roles, but kind of a, a mixture of, of, of both. And um, it was a bit of a wake up call for me where I realized that, you know, if I don't shift out of sales at this point, I might not be able to do the work that I truly love to do. And I'm great at doing. And um, that was the, you know, the start of the summer of the pandemic. And um, I worked with a, a career coach as well, um, who was really helpful and and actually somebody that Mark introduced me to, and uh, we both are huge fans of, um, and and hopefully even have us uh, have a as a guest at some point in this season. Uh, and spoiler. yeah, <laughs> spoiler. Uh, and with her, you know, we worked through a number of activities around what type of work really gets me going you know what would i what are the top three values that i want in my work we did some exercises around imagining myself in different roles and how i would be um it was kind of visioning exercise uh and it really helped me realize that uh you know the path i was currently pursuing in sales just wasn't tied into my 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 core abilities and my core values and so I uh, ended up discovering something called design thinking, um, explored the world of product development, uh, even started my own consultancy and, and worked with a number of different clients on how to solve product development challenges that they're having. And uh, really 
fell in love with this space of, you know, how do you build things that people love? And uh, did that for about a year and a half uh, until I was uh, I reached out. I was reached out to by a recruiter um, by a Toronto tech company here called Mercatus, who was looking for a product marketing manager. And um, we started talking. I learned a little bit more about the job description, what it was about. I was like, this is actually a great combination of the product development work that I've been doing and the type of marketing and kind of communication positioning work that I've done for quite a few of my roles in in the in, in my career. And so ended up joining Mercatus back in May of last year. And I have just absolutely loved working in, as a as a product marketing manager. And I feel like I'm kicking ass at this role just because it's like everything that I've always wanted to do um kind of packaged in together. So uh yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to for the last couple of years. I can, I'm happy to unpack more of it with you. Yeah, and I can feel the energy. What do you say? You know, you feel as though you're kicking ass, and um, it's something that I think about a lot. Where we do a lot of things in life that we're really good at. However, what's the energy flow in doing those tasks? Right? Are we feeling drained at the end of the day or at the end of the week when we've done those tasks to a high degree of excellence, or are we feeling energized and it sounds like you found something that that really energizes you and you're good at, which is like the best combination we could all look to to seek. So yeah. great, great stuff on that. Um, and, and I guess, you know, I, I am interested because, you know, it takes a lot of courage to go and do one's own thing. And so being an entrepreneur and then coming back now and, and working in a full-time position, talk to us a little bit about what's been most surprising from kind of managing your own schedule and your own work and your own income to now being part of a, a full-time working force again? Yeah. Well, I think the most surprising part is how less stressed you are about financials. <laughs> I, I think, you know, going into entrepreneurship, uh, you know, I did have some runway, but when that runway ran out, it's, it's really, it's literally like, you know, you're up at night thinking, okay, what's the next month or the next two months look like? So I think it's so important that if you are going down the entre entrepreneurship route, and I, I kind of feel like everybody should do entrepreneurship at some point, like to start something that they can call their their own and, and to learn the value of, you know, owning everything. Um, that I think that's a really good lesson that I learned. And I'm actually bringing to this role now where it's just like, having felt that ownership of all the different pieces and making continuing to you know make sure that the ship is running um i kind of run my product marketing you know program at mercatus like that it's it has to be a sustainable business it has to show that it can show return on investment and impact um and show that to the stakeholders in an effective way you really adopt this kind of client mindset, which maybe if you're just in like one role, let's say in sales or even like in marketing or client client developments, probably you should be client focused, but like there are certain roles that, you know, you kind of can be really siloed. Um, so being an entrepreneur, you know, being a consultant was really a great way to learn, hey, we have to show impact. We have to show how this is making a difference. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things stand out to me from what you shared. One is, I feel sometimes like society really places a lot of um, 
celebrity or value around this idea of being bold and being an entrepreneur. But your words really rang with me, which is like, it's it's hard. And uh, people don't see the reality of being self-employed sometimes. I mean, I, I haven't experienced that firsthand, but uh, it's not always glamorous. It's it's challenging. Um, so so that that really is an interesting insight that you shared earlier around just like having more stable income. And then the second is this idea of being an entrepreneur, right? So you can develop a lot of those entrepreneurial skills and apply them in a large company or a small company that's more starting up and um, kind of be that entrepreneur uh, that's really valuable for an organization. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, if becoming an entrepreneur is something you're interested in and you you have a full-time job, exactly to your point, start by being an entrepreneur and innovate uh, within your company, show value in a, in a new way. And, and that can be part of your portfolio, your resume that you can then share with clients that you want to start working with. Um, yeah, there's, I think that's probably a better way to do this. If I were to do it again, I would have probably created some, you know, clear marketable in demand skills, um, in a company and then brought that outside, uh, you know, whenever I had enough of that, uh, that the proof points, um, I was building things on the fly essentially, right? Like I was learning about product development literally for the first time. And I was, you know, marketing those services. So, uh, wouldn't recommend exactly doing it that way. There are people who can do it, but it's, uh, it really does take, um, yeah, you know, a lot of work, a lot of luck, um, a lot of the right, you know, people to know that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. So there's a, that's a, that's a lot there that we covered. And I think the career side's great. Uh, we can probably keep on talking about it for a long, <laughs> long time, but can you um, tell we're motivated individuals? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> we're, we're just buzzing over all this, this exciting to listen to job talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's lots more transitions. I'm sure that we could be diving our, our sticking our teeth into. So Exactly. Uh, where else do you want to go on this on this conversation? Yeah, so let's switch over to our our personal lives. Um, you mentioned that uh, post Slack, you know, you had this like north star of of being able to travel with uh, with Jess and you know explore the world while you still kind of have the chance to um, before having you know more commitments in your life. So and, and we all watched you, at least we as in in your community and your network, you know. Um, post about your travels and talk about it. Um, but tell us a little bit about your bucket list traveling. Where'd you go and what were some of your highlights? Yeah, uh, it was it was really, really um, rewarding. And, um, you know, we decided to spend some time in Canada uh, when we first uh, started traveling, do some domestic travel. It was still warm weather and there's so much to see in this wonderful country. So that was kind of where things stood. And then when we decided to go international, uh, Jess's family, part of her family on her mom's side has a Korean background. And so, um, you know, it was important for us and something that could bring us closer together if, if we were able to go to South Korea and experience that culture firsthand. So that was like our 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 kickoff for our international leg. And then we went to Japan, which, um, you know, I know has, has a lot of personal meaning for you, Peter, and your background. It was the second time that I've been there. 
but Jess had never been. So we were excited to go back and it was pretty close to where South Korea was. And then we rounded out this part of, of our travels in New Zealand, which was, you know, kind of a dream destination that Jess and I had always wanted to go to. We're nature people. We love being active and hiking and that is there in spades in New Zealand. So it was, it was very memorable. It's great. Okay. So you went to, well, I mean, I love how you started with Canada. That's great. Uh, it was a nice shout <laughs> well, out. Well, I just want to give a shout out. I, mean, I think <laughs> I think during the pandemic, uh, maybe a lot of us realized because it was a lot harder to have vacations, like the importance of seeing the beauty and the wonder right in your own backyard. And so, um, yeah, I'm always here to give a big ups to some local travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, tell us about one or two highlights um or high moments you know on the trip that you that you really enjoy and maybe for those listening or thinking about traveling this is kind of a great opportunity to take notes on where we might want to go when we're in these countries yeah I, i'm not sure I, I don't know if i'll maybe i'll save like going super deep on um you know highlights of the countries uh just because uh, you know who knows if people want to hear some of those details but uh i do think you know the korea leg was very meaningful simply because of the family connection. And um, that was something that I'll hold dear. We uh, we stayed with family for a portion of the trip. And despite me not being able to speak any Korean, nor them really any English, it was amazing to see those connections and those bonds. And it was another reminder of how much you can communicate without language and using hand gestures, facial expressions, and acts of service and, and generosity. And they were so warm and welcoming, which was really great. Um, you know, I think there's also just a whole bucket of learning and reflection that I'm still processing through traveling and going through more adventurous locations in some parts with a partner, a romantic partner versus prior to this, I've done some solo travel. I've done some travel with you, Peter, and with friends, uh, but never have gone with a romantic partner. And I think Wait, wait, yeah. we weren't a romantic partner when we went to <laughs> Colombia together? Um, <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> uh nice uh but yeah so i think i think the <laughs> i think the ideas of just like how do you encounter um adversity and how do you work through you know disagreements or challenges was something that really stuck stuck out and was was really good learning my my a friend of mine we were joking that um you know by traveling for 3 months with a romantic partner you're maybe accelerating a few years of a relationship and just the highs and the lows and some of the, you know, the things that you navigate as one does on, on an adventurous trip where sometimes you have to make, you know, uh, quick decisions. Yeah. I can remember being in Japan and like, you know, those bullet trains, they don't wait around for anybody. So if you're not on time, um, you're going to miss that train. And so uh, there's some very memorable experiences like that, where we're literally like running with our suitcases uh, because we maybe misplanned some timing or what have you. And um, yeah, it all leads to just some very memorable adventure. So those are just some like high level thoughts. And you know, I could share a few stories as well, but I'll pause there. Well, so just going to what you mentioned earlier about, you know, reflecting and thinking about what you learned about yourself on on this trip. I think a lot of people, you know, travel to kind of find themselves um, but often kind of learn more about themselves after they've come back home and then had a chance to like digest what they experienced. How do you feel like your travels changed you or even changed your relationship with Jess? Is there, any, is there anything from so far? I know you're still digesting, but like 
Yeah. I mean, I told, I told Jess, like, I think a lot of the, I mean, I, I've been very lucky that I've uh, had a lot of amazing travel experiences in my life. Um, so I think for me, I didn't learn a ton about myself, if I'm being honest, around traveling as an individual. But as I said, um, I think my my experience in deep, meaningful relationships romantically, you know, are more sparse. And so I think just like a lot of learnings in relating to another person, um, the importance of vulnerability, the importance of communication and trust, um, you know, just being able to to share um, with each other what 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 we're trying to get out of a certain day, even as such a simple thing. But like, what activities are we going to take on for the day? And uh, so it's fun. And then like on on the on the other side of it, like it was pretty it's pretty rewarding to be able to experience teamwork and see how well we thrived as a couple in all these different scenarios and i think like we came away from the trip being like wow like we were really good at traveling or really good at encountering some of these challenges and succeeding so there's there's those highs that come from that as well yeah did you feel like you had to kind of not in a bad way but like adjust the way that you showed up in that really close relationship where you know maybe in the past you could do it one way and get away with it whereas now you know you're 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 a team you have to like work together there's certain things that maybe the way you did in the past didn't work so you had to kind of learn to work together as a team a little bit better if that makes sense at all yeah i think i think it does you know i think you 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 just uh, every day is is a learning opportunity in a committed long term relationship. So I think it it continues to help you strive to be humble, uh, exercise patience, um, and you know there there's many different aspects of that that you know I'm continuing to reflect on and, and work at. So, but but overall, like I would say, yeah, it was just it was a really positive wonderful experience to be able to go and be in these parts of the world uh with somebody you care so much about and have those memories that will last you know a lifetime so for that we're both really really grateful and you know going back to just some of the experiences uh there's so many things you know in south korea that really struck me about the culture and the people what was really surprising was just how amazing the hiking was in that country I had not really thought about nature and hiking in the same kind of thought bubble as um, what I would want to go explore when I was in Korea, but Jess was able to introduce me to a lot of wonderful places. We went to some national parks there and just the incredible craftsmanship that they have in maintaining the trails was in and of itself mind-blowing. And you could really see the work ethic of the Korean culture come to light and how they maintain their national parks, but very beautiful mountainous terrain in the country, which was a memory I'll keep. And of course, you know, with some of the tensions with North and South Korea, being able to go to the demilitarized zone, uh, experience some of the history um, of that part of the world. And at the time, there was more media reports about things happening in North Korea. So it really hit home. That was a very powerful experience. So yeah, those are just some highlights in Korea and Japan, or sorry, Korea, and I can maybe talk on one or two highlights in New Zealand, but I'll pause for a second. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's great. And I've seen pictures of you and you and, uh, uh, Jess in Korea, which are pretty amazing with the, 
traditional garb. So I'm glad you guys had a chance to do that. Uh, let's yeah, hear. I mean, so New Zealand. Let's let a couple highlights there. Yeah, I mean, I think New Zealand. What was really interesting about New Zealand was we had just come from Japan and Korea, where the population density is really um, different than here in Canada. And so to go to New Zealand, we went and spent about just over three weeks in the South Island was such a contrast to where we were in Asia that that alone was a really happenstance. It just ended up being like a great way to plan the itinerary because we just love the contrast that came with that. We were on the South Island specifically, which is less population dense than the North Island for those that aren't familiar with New Zealand's geography. And we were there because they have more of the adventurous hiking and, and activities um, the North Island's more known for the warmer weather and the beaches. They also have activities everywhere, but in general terms. And um, yeah, so we had a rental car and we just loved the freedom and the independence and just kind of the the break from just so many different people uh, that came with that leg of the trip. And yeah, it was just beautiful. I think the, the, the big theme for New Zealand was just the access to nature, um, particularly wildlife, was was spectacular. We got to have incredible encounters with Tawaki penguins, which are um, a penguin that's unique species to that part of the world. And they're, you know, I don't want to bore you with lots of stories about how special they are as a creature, but it was very unique to be able to see them. We went and stayed at an eco lodge, and they had um, kind of a uh, their the head of the eco lodge studies penguins for his lifelong pursuit. And so he has um, a very wonderful way that you can go and without disturbing the penguins, be able to see them coming up at the time of year we were there was kind of feeding time and go and walk kind of only meters past you because their eyesight is not good. They just recognize movement. So as long as you sit still, they don't actually know that, that you're there. And so, yeah, stuff like that, dolphin encounters, uh, you name it. It was, it was, is beautiful. There are, especially in like the Fjordland area, the South Island, there are ironically a lot of parallels with like Canada and BC, Western Canada, which is kind of funny to travel so far and have, you know, some familiar scenes, but the vegetation is so different. Obviously the people and the culture is so different and we happen to love Western Canada and the topography is so, um, that was great. And, and it was just a great adventure. We did like a three day, two night over overnight trek, uh, three day hike. Uh, they have a lot of these great walks in New Zealand and it was called the route burn track. And yeah, it was just beautiful to get some of the landscape in the mountainous area. Uh, so yeah. Good stuff. Um, but you know, uh, Peter, while I was doing some traveling, um, I know that there were some changes happening for you back home that would have made it more difficult in the near term to travel. Talk about uh, what it was like for you, because recently you became a proud owner of a new dog. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, speaking of, you know, transitions in, in our lives, uh, bringing in another living creature into our home was a, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so, and neither me or my, my partner may had, uh, owned a dog in the past. So for both of us, it was like a huge kind of learning curve and understanding and caring for, you know, uh, a dog who is a rescue comes from Turkey. His name's Boyd. Um, he came with the name Boyd and we stuck with it. We just think it's like a great old man name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's been great. Like, I think from, 
you know, personal learning perspective of owning uh, a dog is it's a huge life change. Um, I would never compare it to like having a child, but in in a, in a, in a small way, I think it, it really does change or shift the way that you think about others. Um, and, you know, when you have something that you have to take care of and it's really wholly depend, dependent on you, um, you know, as uh, as a, as a guy who's mostly lived his life as a single man, it's like, wow, okay, this, I really need to like, think about taking care of this, this creature. And, you know, how do I make sure it's safe and sound and, and all that. And I think the first month or so, I, I gotta be honest, like, I think I was a little bit, um, frustrated about how much I had to shift and change, you know, from the morning walks to, you know, thinking about being at home at a certain time, um, I think that was a real initial challenge, but now we're about um, four or five months in. He really has become part of the family and some, you know, uh, it's a dog that we we both really care about and couldn't imagine ourselves without. Yeah. And I think that being a dog owner, going through some of those frustrating moments is something that a lot of folks who are listening who have pets uh, could relate to. Um, What, what how did you kind of work through some of those really challenging moments yeah it's that's a great question i think i mean in the moment it's just hard like you try to just make sure you're not you know getting too frustrated or too angry um it really helped to have uh may to to debrief with and to kind of work mm-hmm. through together okay so what's going on here's what he did on the walk you know how do we make it better just even somebody to like express your frustration with was helpful and who knows, you know, Hey, I, I know what it's like in my afternoon walks, you know, how, how he is. Um, so I think just having a partner to talk, talk things through with was, was really important. And then secondly is, is having a trainer. And I think there's like so many applications to different aspects of our life, right? We were talking about coaching earlier, you know, getting a career coach, um, with, with Boyd having a dog trainer, was great. And we did like seven or eight zoom sessions and we learned the basics of like sit and, you know, um, down and, you know, just things like that, that, that are are really fundamental to getting dog obedience and being able to understand it. Like even thinking about dogs being a pack animal, um, their behaviors are pack based, right? So of course they're going to miss you when you're away. Of course, they're going to act a certain way when they've been just bred to be that way. So being able to understand the dog's mentality and psyche made it a little bit easier for me to think, oh, I'm not a bad owner. I'm not a bad dog parent. It's because he is, he's X, Y, Z, you know, like that's how he was raised and how he thinks and his genetics and all that. So putting a little bit of that pressure off was really helpful. Yeah, I just wrote on my little notepad here and underline, think like a dog. Think like a dog. That's a good good takeaway. What would a pack Uh, animal do? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I I think that that's actually really uh, smart. And and you talked about having May as your partner there, working through some of those challenges. How has having a dog um, impacted or shifted the way you are as a couple? Yeah, another great question, Mark. This is uh, some some good hard hitting questions. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Gotta dish it back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I think it's brought us brought us closer. Uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, uh, I think there are parts of me that pre Boyd were I don't know if selfish were like is the right word, but like you know, I just think of things that you know make me happy or like within the context of my relationship with with may it's like well we're both two humans <laughs> we're both two like you know self uh reliant human beings like we are together we're a team but you know when you bring a a dog uh into the relationship it's like we really do have to be a close team otherwise this this all breaks apart so you know for us it it is i know it's kind of cheesy like a lot of people get a dog in preparation for having a child but i really think it's a, it's actually a great training mechanism where you you both as a partnership come together take care of this this you know uh creature who relies on you i don't know why i keep on saying creature but like you know what i mean uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know, we have to coordinate things. We have to communicate. Like it greases the wheel of the relationship more. And if you are in that positive, strong relationship of good communication, um, then it actually, I think it strengthens it. If maybe it's a little, the like there's not a lot of grease on there. It's a little bit of a creaky wheel. Maybe things break about a little bit faster. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, I think for both of us, it's been really nice to work more closely together and coordinate together and feel like, okay, you know, we're, we're aligning together on, on our, um, on, uh, as a team, as a family unit, as a pack, if you will. Yeah. It's another key takeaway. I just wrote down relationships are like a greasy wheel and you gotta <laughs> make sure <laughs> you gotta make sure that there's grease there or it's not going to move forward. So, uh, I love the, the metaphor that they get helps visualize some of the concepts uh, more of a fun question, but I think like, I don't know if you agree, but I think that sometimes dogs or their owners, I'm not really sure who influences you, yeah. but they kind of take on similar habits. So like, in what ways would you say Boyd's kind of adopted some of your habits or personality traits? Uh, I mean, he's, he, he's great. I, he's a work hard, play hard kind of, kind of dog. So <laughs> uh he at home he's like super relaxed and you know he's just like belly up half the time loves belly rubs very docile and when he goes outside you know sees other dogs he just becomes like a true dog like it, it's he you can tell he's an animal uh and he yeah i, I love that aspect of him i'm, I'm i think i'm kind of like that in a way where it's just like you know i'm at home i'm really chill and maybe yeah, outside of home i at my work i'm more engaged and i'm more excited i kind of pick pick where i can show up the best if you will so yeah i think boyd's a little bit like that but you know i think um there's only so much that we can influence with a dog especially a rescue that's in our case two years old um and it just goes like we're lucky we have a dog who's you know just has a really good temperament and personality um and you know but even if you didn't it's just knowing that that personality is not a reflection on on you but just like you know ado adopted dogs come to us with their own built-in um you know personality mindset and all that and all we can really do is kind of help create that safe environment for them to to grow in so um i don't really 
you know, um, take it as like, hey, I've influenced him this way. It's Boyd's Boyd. We'll take care of him. We'll love him as as best as we can, as as the way he shows up and and hopefully show him the right kind of path in terms of behavior and all that. But they they yeah. don't come from us. They pass through us in a way. We're just shepherds. well, and I, and I think that's one thing that um you know hopefully people can take from the story too is that you guys start off by being foster uh dog parents and it transitioned from there and you're able to adopt a dog that you know is very happy now and it's new life it's quite clear in how you talk about Boyd that you're a loving parent so uh yeah it's it's really great to hear and um I think that the idea that you shared earlier I mean I'm not a dog owner now I did have a dog for a little bit of my childhood but the idea around just boy being boyed outside and being a dog uh you know coming back to the conversation around slack was one of the things i loved about our ceo he had all these great metaphors and philosophical ideas and one of them was this concept uh called be the dog and i actually have the coffee mug that i still use on a regular basis but it's this idea of like this dog going out into a hike or the forest and just totally being in the moment and living and sniffing out and running ahead and sometimes we as humans get so caught in our own wheel and our own thought patterns that we kind of forget to be present and just be out there and enjoying the moment. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I love that. even though I'm not a dog owner, I, I love that about dogs. I love being around dogs. And, and that's a lesson that, uh, I always think of when I see them playing outside. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know Boyd would love to see uncle Mark at some point, so <laughs> we'll make that. Yeah. We'll make it happen soon. Yeah. I, so speaking of, you know, creating new family units, uh, really, you know, had the pleasure of, of joining you and, and Jess for the wedding in December. And I just want to talk a little bit about how that was for you. You came back from your, you know, epic journey um, through your travels and then uh, the, the wedding. Tell us a little bit about what it was like getting married, you know, at, just as a starting point. <laughs> yeah, getting married in your your mid to late 30s, right? I mean, I think that's... um you know, and be a different approach than other people. And it's kind of just fun to be able to riff on some of these life transitions and see, and, you know, I'm hopeful that people who listen to this can share their own experiences with us as, as they, you know, give us feedback. But the, um, the wedding is kind of, I mean, I just can't stop smiling when I think about everything to do with the wedding. Um, I mean, maybe first I'll start with this idea that is kind of like, sounds like a little of a strange way to start, but I don't know. In my 20s, I have to say, like, I was always pretty skeptical about weddings, if I'm being completely honest. I was just like, these feel like a big cash grab. Um, you know, I remember studying at a university in like marketing class and, you know, how these vendors use your emotions against you because it's this one special day. And it just felt like there was a lot of those kind of dark sides and the commercial elements to it. And and then, you know, from a, a relationship standpoint, I've always been someone who is like, you know, I want an authentic connection with my partner and I don't need a wedding to be able to 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 showcase that. And I think um, maybe there was also a bit of fear and, um, you know, wonder if like if I could ever find somebody or be in a situation where a wedding would be something that would be for me. Right. So maybe in that moment, I was also kind of rejecting the idea solely because I wasn't sure it would ever be something that could be, you know, a next step for me. So fast forward to now, uh, I think those, those thoughts were, were, you know, a little narrow in scope and, um, you know, I actually couldn't have been more happy with this celebration and it was just that. And I think 
that idea of looking at a wedding as a, a showcase of commitment, uh, an opportunity to bring your community together, which we don't really have very many opportunities in life. It's like wedding and unfortunately the passing of people where where these kinds of things happen. And so, um, yeah, bringing community together and, um, yeah, being able to, to stake, draw a stake in the ground and say, this is our commitment to each other. And we want to have the people we love around us here to help. Uh, there's so many things that that really resonated about the idea of the wedding. So I'll pause there before I go into the actual experience, because it was also unique in how we did it, because we did it in Punta Cana and the Dominican. But uh, maybe before I go there, what are your thoughts on just some of those ideas? Yeah, I I think I can relate to a lot of different points you 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 mentioned around the idea of wedding and the idea of of relationships and um, yeah what do you feel like maybe changed between yourself in your 20s and self in your 30s around the concept of of marriage and finding the right person because like you and I you know we lived in Toronto together for a while and you know we talk about we deep we debrief dates sometimes just to talk about our lives but what do you feel like has changed for you and between your 20s and, and into your 30s hmm Oh man, I think um trying to think. I think the the biggest change was being able to to find somebody where you were really excited about taking that life step together. Um and you know, you know I'm no stranger to first dates and online dating and all that stuff. Um so, you know, I think like being able to find a partner where you have just that really special connection and that vision and that excitement around wanting to spend a life together. That was certainly a great catalyst. I also think just I've also experienced these beautiful weddings. I'm very lucky to have people who have shown me what love means and what it can be like. And so I think you're always inspired when you go to other people's weddings, perhaps, and you see that 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 same commitment and it resonates, right? And um, so I think just having role models and people in my life that could act as an example was also impactful. But, you know, of course, being able to find somebody that you want to to make that commitment with is 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 important. And, you know, I didn't I didn't know that the first time I met Jess, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight, of course. But I think we were we were very lucky that we could go through early meaningful experiences that helped us get to know each other fairly quickly and set the stage for wanting to realize that vision. Yeah, that's awesome. So onto the wedding. Yes. I mean, onto the wedding. I mean, I think the the thing that's pretty interesting for those that, that maybe aren't aware listening is my partner. She's from the Dominican Republic. She, um, you know, moved to Canada uh, within the last five years or so. And so she has just such a rich culture and connection and, and family tied to the Dominican. And so for us, you know, knowing that she's sacrificed a lot to be living in Canada and coming out here on her own, it felt pretty important to be able to have this celebration where her home was and um, to be able to to share it with hopefully those that could make the trip from Canada and North America but also with people who are locally based. And so we got married in Punta Cana, which was kind of funny because my my sister actually got married in, in Punta Cana um, in a different context uh, being there, you know, so many years ago. So just the irony of, of being back uh, for my own wedding was pretty special. And what I think made this experience pretty unique was 
because uh, of Jess's background, we were able to have, you know, more of that Dominican influence in our experience. Um, we had guests stay at, at a hotel, but we we got married off the hotel at a restaurant. And um, yeah, just overall, just so thrilled. I think what's challenging about having a wedding that's, you know, a destination wedding for, for especially guests here from Canada and the U.S. is it's a big commitment. It's a commitment of time. It's a commitment of finances. Um, you know, so you definitely feel that strain. And, you know, as much as we wished more people could have made the journey, uh, we know that there are a lot of responsibilities. You just listed being a dog owner as one, but, you know, people have families, et cetera. But for those that were able to make it, it made the experience that much more special because unlike maybe a typical wedding where you kind of come and go from the day of the ceremony and the reception, people are there on either side of the wedding experience for a few days. And so I felt like we were able to have very meaningful connection and conversation with people and do it in a place where it was warm and the weather was was great at that time of year in December. And so that made it very special. And I think it's very us. Uh, we like that authentic, genuine connection with our our friends and our guests. And so that made it really memorable. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was such a pleasure being there and and celebrating and uh you know meeting so many of the people. And that's why we're actually here even <laughs> doing this season is being able to do that. Uh being able to hear all the feedback for the podcast and um yeah, doing this now. If there yeah, is everyone was like, Peter, come on, man. We miss we miss Icky Guy. We gotta get that going. And so uh yeah, I'm so glad that uh that's one of the many great um unexpected outcomes of of bringing wonderful people together is just initiatives like this. So yeah, agreed. Uh, one more quick question on the wedding. Is there two, you can choose one or two, one of two ways. One is, is there anything looking back you would do differently? Okay. Or um, if there's one thing you would love to recreate again, what would you do again? Hmm. I don't know about the do differently. I have to say, like, we were just so thrilled with how it all came together. I think, if anything, maybe it's where my mind goes, but I oftentimes play worst case scenarios in my head and set expectations and a pessimistic light, maybe to to help make it more appealing when, you know, life actually happens and it's not the worst case outcome. So just running those scenarios and thinking about ways to work through them. Um, you know, I think the actual experience and it being like, I was genuinely like, I don't know what's going to happen when I bring different parts of my community who've never interacted before together. And there was a bit of anxiety around that, uh, unfounded in, in reality, because everyone really hit it off and great connections. But those are the kinds of thoughts that you have. I think the biggest piece of advice that was given to Jess and I leading up to the wedding was try to be really present because it happens so fast and mm -hmm. it's over. And I do feel, I don't want to speak for Jess, but I, I know she'd share the same, but I do feel like I was very happy that that intention was there. We read our own vows at the ceremony. And I feel like the moment that we got the ceremony beginning and I walked down the aisle with my mom, that was when like the magic started to happen. And I mean, that those few hours of starting of the ceremony at whatever that was, five o'clock all the way to the wee hours of the night. Like those are some of the most cherished hours that I think if there's anything I wish, it would be to relive that experience over and over because it was just it was just a very fulfilling thing uh, in so many ways, you know? Um, so I would say, despite being really present, uh, I would wish to try to relive that memory because it was just very special. Yeah, 
I love that. And good good advice. Uh, as I'm looking towards my my wedding in uh, in July, so uh, yeah, I think so. Ours is just going to be a, a one day, you know, evening thing with like close, intimate people, maybe 40, 50 people um, here in Toronto. And uh, yeah, but even more so, I think it's even more important to stay locked in and present and and anything you don't have to do push it push like push it to the wedding coordinator or somebody else because you can really to just really capture those in your memory so it's really good advice yeah and I, and I think um the other thing I would say that I feel very happy about with how our experience happened was and again this is a value that we value so it might be different for listeners or for yourself but I feel like we were very authentic and very clear with what kind of wedding experience we wanted and it felt really good that like the actual experience played out in that way so you know are there certain traditions or things about weddings that annoy you are there certain expenses that you know you feel are frivolous like you know hopefully as you're encountering your own journey this summer like you can have an experience that feels authentically like you and may because i think that's that's the best part and you know i'm excited that we're at a time in our lives where like you know you don't have to do things just because that's the way they're done. You can do have a ceremony or a wedding the way you want that feels like you as a couple. And I think those are the best experiences that I've been a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Oh man. Well, Peter, there's uh there's, we covered a lot here. I there's, there's a lot more. I was just looking at my little notes here. I was like, Oh man, there's other, other ideas and, and topics that um, I wanted to dig into. And I'm glad that we're looking at, this idea of transitions as a three-part series, because I think there's more we could be exploring around just um, kind of the, the mental side of going through transitions and what that means. Um, as you mentioned earlier, like we talked about our own career journey. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what's next for me, uh, which has been an interesting thing to start peeling, peeling the onion, so to speak. So I think there'll be some exciting, interesting topics that we can flesh out as we look at the next couple episodes together. Yeah, for sure. I think there's, like you said, lots we can talk about. Um, there's, uh, there's some resources out there too that I'll be um, looking into further. Uh, there's a book called Transitions by Bill Bridges that um, I was recommended uh, was recommended by um, a good uh, mentor of mine, and. Yeah, I think, you know, there are some concepts in there that we can we can borrow and and unpack and mark, you know, going into your next step in your career, whatever that looks like. I think that's that's great fodder for this conversation. Um, But yeah, really appreciated this first discussion. Um, Excited for everybody listening to come back for this. The second one, Um, it's going to be even more engaging, exciting (laughs) Uh, and uh, more stories about Boyd. That's we'll a- <laughs> <your point. laughs> and yeah, uh and, and maybe we can do some mock interviews as I get ready for <laughs> back into the job working world. So yeah. No, that's okay. All right. Well, thanks, Peter, for the conversation. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at herehue.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out the blog at ikigai.blog. And if you found this content useful, please subscribe or tell a friend or family member about this podcast. 
I'll see you next week for another episode of the Ikigai Project. Take good care for now, everyone.